If you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and on over to the book of Romans in chapter 7 this morning. Now, you're going to hang out there for a few minutes while I eventually make my way there. I'm going to do a quick review, uh, emphasis on the quick part of last week. I uh, hope the battle goes well for you. This has been going well for you this week. If you're contending against sin and trying to battle those uh, that, that uh, human nature, that human heart to want to... Um, that proclivity for to listen to your flesh. Hope that, that you're fighting that valiantly, uh, that you're always uh, um, seeking God's strength and help in the pursuit there. Uh, we're going to look back at some of the things that we covered last week um, just to kind of emphasize some of the sober, sober realizations I think we came to from Romans chapter 6. Uh, one of those things is that <clears throat> when it comes about for us to seek to change we have some problems already resident in our own hearts. We're not going to find ways to change ourselves. Now, the Bible clearly tells us that doing that is going to be a futile effort. So we are. Because, why is that? Because we're self-pleasing by nature. Uh, we seek to change, but we don't have the right motivations to change. We change because we want to make our lives happier or, less problem fr- or more problem-free or seeking some sort of um, some way to alleviate pain. If you talk to... Talk to Mark Hager, he'll tell you that uh, most people who want to change, who come to him looking for counseling, are primarily looking for ways to stop pain. They're tired of the painful life that's been created by poor choices and bad and, and sin patterns. So uh, that's an improper motivation to seek change, quite frankly. Although it does get you to the point where you have a realization of like, wow, I need, to, I need something needs to happen. I need to make a, an alteration in my lifestyle. Being motivated by escaping pain or by seeking a more happy life is not going to be sufficient to give you the stamina to get to the to get where you need to go. So we are self-pleasing. That's not a that's not a uh, proper motivation. Secondly, we're self-deceived. That is to say that we think that our own motives for change are altruistic and pretty much noble. We want to change for some other reason because uh, we think we have a good reason to. Um, but I was reminded about what uh, Proverbs chapter three verse five says. It says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart and what lean not." on your own understanding, right? So your own understanding of your problem is not going to be sufficient for you to be able to overcome your problem. Your mind, you just can't trust yourself. Um, Jerry Bridges has been famously quoted as saying, don't believe everything that you think. Don't believe everything that you think. You cannot be trusted to tell yourself the truth. So um, your own heart is desperately wicked, right? Jeremiah 17, 9 says. So we're just self-deceived. So we need a source of information, a source that can analyze our problem that is external to us, outside of ourself. And where are we going to get a trustworthy, credible, reliable source of truth outside of ourselves that can analyze, analyze our problems? Well, the Word of God, right? And a, probably perhaps a, a faithful Christian brother or sister who can apply that remedy to us in a, in a faithful counseling or discipling relationship. We're also self-confident. That is to say that we believe that we have the unlimited potential to change ourselves, that we can remake and we can make and remake ourselves over and over again until we get it right. That we have this extreme flexibility about our own ability to change. But I'm reminded of Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, that says, Can a leopard change his own spots? Can an Ethiopian change his own skin? Then may you, who, can, then may you, who have been accustomed to doing evil. Basically, what he's saying there is we don't have the innate ability to change ourselves. We are so warped by sin that we need something else to make, our, to make the change possible. So we have this unfortunate self-confidence that's not warranted. Second, uh, fourthly, we have this 
self-sufficiency, that we believe that somehow we can find the remedies to our own problems, okay? The problem with this is, is that we are gross overestimators of our own abilities. If we get honest with ourselves and we go around that post, that same sin again and again and again, we realize the remedies that we're trying are not working. We've overestimated our own ability to change. And just because we can see the problem doesn't mean we have the remedy. It's like people, have you ever met people who insist on being self-medicators for their own problems? They diagnose their own problem. They get on Google. They search up their own symptoms. They come to a conclusion, a diagnosis, and they begin a, 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 a system of treatment for their own problem. And you look at that and you go, that's crazy. <laughs> that's insane. Okay, You don't self-medicate. You don't have the expertise to know that or to be able to apply that in faithful ways or careful ways. You have a limited amount of knowledge, and you would benefit from having someone to take uh, uh, help, help you with, uh, to, first of all, you've got to destroy the astonishingly, astonishingly horrifying trust in yourself, and then lean on the wisdom and experience of someone else. So even if you can sense your own need of change, doesn't mean you have the ability to, or the determination or the drive to make it happen. We shouldn't write prescri- our own prescriptions for the problems of our sin. We need God's prescription for the problem. Okay? And then lastly, we're self-vindicating. And by that I mean is that we make excuses for ourselves. We fall again and again and again in sin. If you're like me, you, try to, you end up going easier and easier on yourself over time. You say, well, at least I'm making an effort. At least I'm, at least I'm uh, trying my best. God's got to be satisfied with at least my efforts. I mean, I should get some kind of credit for that. I, 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 I can rationalize my way into how that happened and... You know, the circumstances were just set up just so I could fall, and I would just blame my circumstances and the situations and how they staged themselves up. I can start using blame shifting and excuses and victim language to make it sound like basically I can soften the blow to my proud perception of myself. So these are all things that are working against you when you're trying to find good motivation to change. Okay? Motivate, you need to be motivated properly. <laughs> There's a chance that we change targets when it comes to change. We find that change is harder than we thought, and we lose motivation. As soon as we miss the mark of God's, God's standard of what we should be changing towards, we start changing in favor of other tar- targets that we can more easily hit. In other words, instead of pursuing holiness, we'll start looking for happiness or relief from a problem. We'll trade, pleasing self, we'll trade for pleasing self instead of pleasing Christ, which should be our goal. We seek the approval of others rather than the approval of God in our change. We begin to seek a better self-image instead of imaging Christ. We begin to seek, seek self-improvement over self-mastery, which is scriptural. We'll exalt in our poor performance rather than in empowering grace of Christ. So you see how we switch targets easily? Again, the process of like, man, I'm really trying to battle this particular sin that's ensnaring, having dominion in my life. And in the throes of battle, you get battle-weary and you switch your target. You get on something else. But as James tells us, that if we behold ourselves in the mirror of God's law and not be a forgetful doer, that then we will be blessed in what we do. Looking at yourself in the mirror of God's word, beholding yourself as you really are, finally allows you to get access to what God wants to change in your life, and you will be blessed in your efforts to change. The sooner you accept Scripture's portrait of yourself and who you are, then you will be blessed. So what are the powerful motivations for transformation that we looked at last week? 
In our last lesson, we learned that in Scripture, imperatives or commands of Christ always come after indicatives, or that is to say, statements, facts that have been told us about who we are in Christ. So in other words, before you can understand what you must do, you must first understand who you are in Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm going to speak to you this morning like you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. You've, been, you've trusted him as your Savior. He now, the Bible tells us, Christ now resides within you. You are a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are come new. That, that's who you are. Now, that's the key to fighting the battle with sin. There's no secret. There's no, like, man, there's just some information you're missing. That's the secret to battling your sin. You have become unified. You're in union with Jesus Christ. And all the power that he has is now yours, and you have access for power for change. See, the power for change cannot rise from within yourself. We've already talked about that. You remain powerless and ineffective to battle against sin. But Christ living inside you has given you access and power to overcome any sin. I mean, we need another power source. We need, we need Christ who's far greater, who has far greater power over sin than our own. He is, he's a power that is outside of us, overcoming the power of sin, more inexhaustible than our own uh, willpower and our own drive. He's more powerful to dominate darkness and defeat satanic temptations and the allurements of this world. He's um, capable of overriding even your own inclinations to follow the flesh in your self-oriented pursuits. So I was thinking about this this, this week. I was thinking about how can I illustrate this for you? And the, power, the, the problem with illustrations is they oftentimes are inadequate. But you can think about the power of Christ similar to, I thought about what can I come up with, and then it hit me. I was watching outside. I saw a lightning bolt streak, streak across the sky, and I was like, Whoa, that was close. <laughs> so lightning bolts made me think of like one of the most impressive forces of nature is a, is a lightning bolt. It unleashes five times more heat than the sun when it strikes. The power of a lightning bolt is equivalent, equivalent to detonating one ton of TMT. Just a single spark of electricity can discharge 3,000 volts of electricity. Among uh, some, some doctors say it only takes about 100 volts to stop a human heart. So thinking about that, I, I consider that, that the, whole, the, the power of lightning is not even comparable to the power that is now living inside of you in Jesus Christ. Consider that just behind the walls of your home, this powerful force of nature is coursing through the skeleton of your house at blinding speeds and being delivered to your receptacles. Every receptacle in your room receives electricity at a, at a blinding 670,616,629 miles per hour. That's 186,000 per second. That's, that's a speed of light. Yet somehow we no longer marvel at that anymore, at the awesome energy of a bolt of lightning that's somehow been generated, harnessed, transmitted, delivered, and appropriated to every single receptacle in your home. Your home is literally humming with virtually limitless power to accomplish things you do every single day. And it has all the power and potential to make the everyday tasks that you do, the difficult ones, a whole lot easier. At any time in your home, you are only just a few feet away from the power source capable of delivering the power necessary to bring your appliances and gadgets to life. To operate your home in ways that were just unimaginable to people living 150 years ago. Consider that the appliances in your home would be just nothing but ineffective, useless, inoperable pieces of metal and plastic apart from being connected to this power source. 
As long as you are unplugged, as long as they are unplugged from the power source, they cannot perform the useful function for which they were designed and created to accomplish. I hope you're starting to get the picture here. You, believer, have been plugged into Christ. You've been connected to him. You've been joined with him in his power over sin. You were crucified, Romans 6 says. You were crucified, buried, and raised with him in power. You have been powerfully delivered from the dominion of sin in your life. Those are facts. It's not just ethereal, metaphysical things that just happen out there in, the, in another dimension somewhere. Those are factual statements about your standing in Christ to this very moment. Okay? You just don't account them to be true in the moment of your temptation. You are powerfully delivered from the dominion of sin. You are connected deeply to Christ. You're placed in him, the Bible says, that there's no force of power, force of nature even equal to the power that is in Christ himself. Coursing through you is the power of the risen Christ himself. He is in you, and you are in him. No sin is beyond his power to overcome. You say, well, I just can't get, I can't get victory. No, I know you can't. Thank you. you need to admit that. I can't do it. I, I'm powerless. I have no capacity to overcome. No, I, that's exactly where you need to be, because then you realize you need Christ's capacity. His power is endless, limitless, and he can enable you. He, if you know how to access the power of Jesus Christ to overcome sin and temptation, you will have no problem battling sin. Okay? Because you're connected to him, your inner man just roars to life. You perform that which for, which, for which you were created. You become useful and fruitful and productive, transformed, everything you were meant to be in connection with Christ. The problem with your inability to change is that you're disconnected from him. Is it any wonder why you ever think there's any connection? You've seen this. I know you've seen this. You see any connection between being disconnected to Christ and inability to fight sin? I mean, when you neglect Christ in reading his word and neglecting him in prayer and you neglect the attendance to church and be among the fellowship of God's people, you become slowly indifferent and apathetic towards the truth that's preached to you every week. You become inattentive to biblical teaching. You, become dimin- you have a diminishing appetite for spiritual things. You have a growing asphyxiation with the things of this world. You've got no connection to Christ. You've come plugged. And you wonder why change is impossible. Is there any wonder why there's no power against sin and temptation? Is there any wonder why there's no change? Is there no wonder why there's no question that there's no pursuit of holiness in your life or a desire to be like Christ? It's because you've chosen to cut yourself off from the power of Christ. And the key to that transforming power is reestablishing the connection to his grace, that he wants to flow through Christ to you and then out through your life. So that leaves us where we were last week. We talked about motivations to change. It's important to motiv- be motivated to change properly. It's probably not very, not very uh, sage to say you can't change unless you're motivated by it to change, right? Unless you recognize you have a change. That's something that's hardly worth mentioning. But the reality is we need to evaluate our self-oriented motivation. Why are we wanting to change? And the only thing that is going to drive you and give you the power to overcome is to realize I live to please Christ. I'm not living to make my life happier or more blessed or somehow more comfortable. Christ must be glorified in my life. And that keeps you at the fight. That keeps you in the battle. You have a God-oriented motivation. The impetus for your change is this union with Christ that is giving you supplied power to overcome temptation. And the impediments of your change, the things that slow you down, 
are the blame shifting and the playing victim and the excuses and the accepting defeat, thinking that you're just status quo Christian. You're just going to do what everybody else is doing. No one else seems to be living a victorious life, so why would you expect to live one either? Or having just living in complete discouragement over failed attempt after failed attempt after failed attempt. That's going to stop you cold in your tracks in your progress with Christ. <coughs> so hopefully this motivates you to want to say, wow, I, I, Christ has supplied everything I need for the change that's required. I need to lay aside these things that come up that I have been telling myself. These are self-talk things you're saying to yourself, this blame shifting, these excuses, all this accepting of defeat, and realize, no, Christ has enabled me to overcome. We are more than overcomers through him who saved us, right? Romans chapter 8 says, more than overcomers. That's a, that's a powerful phrase. We'll get, maybe get to that in a little while. I love Romans chapter 6. It says this, do you not know you were baptized into Christ? Do you not know this? He's calling to remembrance things you should know, and these should be anchored in your heart. We are baptized in Christ. We've been baptized in his death. Christ's death, we participated in that. We participated in his burial through baptism into death, so that with Christ, as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So all of that was, we, we, we were united and partnered with him in that. We can walk in newness of life as well. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly, not hopefully, maybe, possibly, certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. See, there, there's certainty here. Um, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with. Our crucifixion with him was, has, a, has a purpose here, doesn't it? In order that our body of sin might be done away with. Christ died for, for sin, not just to give you a new eternal destination, did he? His death for your sin was to put away the body of sin, the, the, the sin that afflicts you and tempts you and, and that you and willing, willfully engage in. He died to put that to death as well. Okay? So that we would no longer be slaves to it. We miss this purpose of Christ's cross work, don't we? He died to free us from sin. For he who has died is freed. If the Son has made you free, then you are free. Indeed, right? All right, so if that's how you perceive yourself when temptation presents, you realize you're not obligated to obey the temptations of your lust. Flesh come, their flesh is presenting an opportunity for you to indulge in some sinful activity. You have the resident power in Christ to deny that temptation and to fight it with some pretty powerful weaponry, which we'll get to in this section. So the cultivation of sanctification, the means for change. How do we actually change? And real quickly this morning, I'm going to give you five ways, alternate ways that are often supplied to us as inadequate means for change. First of all, I'm going to call them human techniques. Techniques is a skill or a trick or something that you learn to try to mitigate the problems or the unpleasant parts of your, of your sin. Okay, Human techniques for change. Giving everything we've learned, we, the world offers us these techniques for change which rely on acquired skills or uh, controlling your behavior somehow. I worked as a residential sociotherapist in a children's home for about four years, and I was inundated in the language and terminology and the philosophy of change when it comes to working with troubled children who've been suffered trauma or suffered, who are just having, not just sufferers, but now their suffering has built patterns of sinful reactions in their life. Now they react sinfully 
towards things that happen. So you're inundated with this philosophical worldview of how to change from that perspective. And um, most of the time, you're, you're, they talk about coping skills. Coping skills is a key buzzword in this philosophical system. How do you cope with your problems? How do you cope? Listen, the Bible doesn't talk about coping with our problems, does it? It talks about victory. It talks about overcoming. It talks about change. It's transformation. These are language, this is the language of the Bible. So we understand we're not just trying to build a bunch of coping skills, as is in the case with something like behavior modification. Behavior modification is the idea that you can alter behavior by using learned techniques of positive and negative reinforcement. The idea that I can make you do things I want you to do if I offer you a positive reward. If I do this with we do this in Sunday school, right? If you sit real good in Sunday school, there'll be a special prize for you at the end, right? And those kids like, well, well, they're just yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Wow, they just straighten right up. Boom, we've got behavior modification, and we got it down to a science. Okay, uh, not for long, right? Uh, until they get that candy, right? After the candy's eaten. It's a whole other ball game. Behavior modification goes out the window, and you've got to work on something more drastic. Graduated measures now. Okay. But you're leveraging a person's natural desire for, for, uh, to avoid punishment, to avoid punishment, and to induce a desired behavior by giving them a reward. Okay? You're giving a, peop- a good example is this giving a sweet prize for something done well. A negative example is this is a swear jar. Okay? keep people from swearing by putting a swear jar out there and making them have to do that. So you're using behavior modification, human techniques. That's, that's, the, that's, that's ignoring the fact that what Christ says is without him, you can do none of this. You can't battle sin. You really can't change. You can't produce fruit or anything pleasing to him because, you are, um, because what's happening here is that you are self-motivated, Right? It's entirely effective, ineffective to transform the inner heart of a man. You might change his outer behavior, but have you changed his heart, really? Okay? He might still be the wiggly, crazy, inattentive kid on the inside, right? He hasn't disciplined himself in the inside. Or you, yourself, you may change the circumstances, rearrange the outside. That's what happens in the environmental structuring is the idea that in environmental structuring, it's popular to, to say that man isn't really depraved. He's just deprived. He's deprived. He's missing. He he's doesn't have the conditions that afford him the opportunities to really change himself. So we've got to rearrange his environment. We've got to change the structure of his environment. His situation is first has to be altered because he has, it doesn't, it has a debilitating effect on him. We control the environment. Therefore, we can change, get the change we want. If drugs and alcohol are a problem, we simply just remove the drugs and alcohol from the environment and the conditions and situations he's in, and boom, we've got the change we need. Maybe it's oversimplifying it. But that's a big part of how it's thought to change people. If you struggle with porn, just throw out your computer, your TV, your cell phone, uh, and then everything will be all right. You simply just extricate yourself from the situation, or you just restructure the one you're in. Change your situation. That's the problem in environmental restructuring. But to think that a man's problem is purely external to himself is to miss the biblical point. The problem isn't outside of you. It's in a heart that is just governed by fleshly desire and lust. And the heart needs a transformation, an inward transformation. Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment, and yet they fell into sin. And it's possible to be in an imperfect environment and resist sin. Scripture teaches both of those are true. We have talk therapy is another idea. Talk therapy is the idea 
that, uh, that you can treat mental, emotional, personality, behavioral disorders using methods used by discussing, listening, and simply counseling. It's not ta- it's it's uh, talk therapy is a Rogerian method which someone has led to journey of personal self discovery through their own talking through a conversation, dialogue and reflection. Through that through these means, people can understand him- themselves and their own problems in a better way. Through talk therapy. <laughs> yes, he does. It does. It does happen that way. And there we have our first exhibit A for why this doesn't work, okay? Uh, so talk therapy basically is a conviction that an individual can just autonomously come up with his own solutions. Scripture teaches differently, doesn't it? Then we have pharmacological therapy. This is the changing of behavior through chemical alteration of the body's, of the body's makeup through medicine, Okay. When all of these other methods aren't working, or maybe they're used in, com- you know, basically combination, there's always the go-to. Let's let's change behavior through the medicine cabinet. Let's let's go ahead and attack the behavior that's undesirable with medication that f- inhibits activity. Um, this fails to attack the root of the sin, doesn't it? It might mask the behavior, it might change some behaviors, but doesn't actually address heart problems that lie deeper deeper down. Okay. Um, lastly, there's self-atonement. This is what a lot of people resort to. The idea that I can simply, for every bad thing I do, if I just do some good to counteract or to offset that, I can bring a sense of alleviation to my guilt. I can counteract my sinful actions by giving myself more positive things to do. And in doing that, I'm actually... um, Changing and the, and the reality is self-atonement is inadequate because it still doesn't really change you from the inside. You, all of these methods are human techniques for change, and what we really need is divine grace for change. I'm running quickly out of time. I'm going to throw these up here. These next section here, this section here, is going to be the subject of several more teachings in this class about how God's divine means of grace is superior to all the human techniques and how your understanding of how these things work in your life are going, to, are going to actually accomplish the change that both you desire and that God desires. Okay, How does God's change, his grace in the church, help address heart issues that are actually fueling and giving the, the, uh, the action to that sin? How does his word actually make the changes and transformation necessary? The spirit of God, how is his operation Function. We, we don't want to neglect the Holy Spirit's act, activity and operation. Prayer, discipleship. How does taking personal responsibility instead of blame shifting and moving guilt all around everybody else and playing victim, how does that actually help you and give hope for change? How does agreement with God, we use, I say agreement with God because sometimes you say the word confession, people don't know what you mean. Confession means to say the same thing God says about my sin. I don't want to take the edges off of what I've done. I need to confess it fully and clearly, we're going to talk about confession. I love what Origen called it. Origen called confession the vomit of the soul. Sometimes you just have to throw up to feel better, right? You just need to do that. Not, and it's not just about feeling better, and it, but it does do that. Uh, but it's allow you to come clean with God. Cough up the alligator, right? You need to cut, get clear with God. Say, get on the same page as him. Agree with him about the situation of your sin. What is godly sorrow and repentance? There's a really excellent several passages of scripture that should be coursing through your mind when it's time to repent. We want to feed that, put that in your ram. 
so that when it comes time, you've got something to be thinking through. What is the evidence of real repentance? I read a book by Rep- on repentance by, um, I think it was Thomas Watson. I think that's who it was. Old Puritan. Man, I read that book on repentance, and I wondered if I'd ever repented in my life. <laughs> that guy, is, he just tore me up. And it was scriptural. I mean, it's a, so I want to press that deeper into your conscience in the next coming weeks about repentance. Okay? What does it mean to put off and put on this imagery of putting off old behavior, replacing it with godly ones, godly behavior? That's constructing new godly habits. Important to retrain. We've learned the sin pattern. You can learn sin. You can learn righteous patterns. Okay? Dehabituation, rehabituation is another idea there. So we've got several things we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead. So come back next week as we look at divine grace for change. We want to cultivate these things. I hope you've grown completely convinced that you don't have the resources. The world doesn't have the resources. No one offers you solutions like the Bible offers them to you, right? Hope you're convinced of that. So that next week you'll come back ready, saying, man, I got my pen open, my book ready. I'm ready to start making some, some inroads. I want, to, I want to push back the ground and the territory in my life sin has taken. And I want to reclaim it for the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be in your word this morning. I pray that you would help. Help us. We didn't get quite to Romans chapter 7 this morning, but Lord, our heart is, is just echoes this passage. We, we desperately cry out in our sin state and desperately pray to be delivered. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the bondage of this death? Praise be to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that power for change comes only from him. So, Lord, we look to him. We're motivated to pursue him and his pleasure, his will. And, Lord, help us to keep the fight up and don't let down. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.